Welcome to the Cult of Domesticity podcast, where two best friends tell each other stories about history, politics, and true crime uh, 725 miles apart. I'm Courtney. And I'm Ashley. And today we're going to be talking about Puerto Rico. Before you all get a little frazzled by it, we're going to do kind of an in-depth look at why Puerto Rico, one, is not a state, two, is part of the United States and you know why it's a little messed up just a little just a little but first Ashley how, how'd your week go <laughs> it's been a week <laughs> we had a big I guess it was a big windstorm I don't know I slept through the storm part but we lost power like at home for more than a day and at work for an entire business day so we had to like throw out all of our frozen stuff, all of our dairy stuff, everything that was in the refrigerators in the pharmacy had to be, we had to get rid of it. It was just, and we lost a whole day's worth of business. It was a mess, but we have lights back here at least. I think one or two of my coworkers might still be getting their lights turned on, like hopefully today, but I don't know. We made it. We're okay. (laughs) I'm sure. It's been a week. And an update from last week's my distress um buddy is doing fine he's doing a lot better he was at the vets from thursday to tuesday actually um i will if i haven't by the time we post this i will post pictures of how he's doing he's currently living in my bathroom because um he's the fifth animal in our house right now so that means we have three cats a rabbit and a dog at my house right now it's a lot quite the menagerie going on there yeah I, I i legitimately texted ashley today when we were talking about when we were going to record i was like i'm running errands and then i have to go feed the zoo <laughs> because i legitimate it's like it's like a it well it's kind of a half an hour process because buddy is super affectionate but yeah his leg is now normal sized he Yay. though he yeah he has a splint in it right now which looks really creepy so the picture i have of him um it has a splint in it so if you're a little queasy don't like look at that leg <laughs> yeah not gonna lie when you sent me the first one i was like oh yeah lord yeah um yeah so we have to buy special litter for him um but yeah like feeding him takes extra an extra long time because you have to spend like 15 minutes in the bathroom with buddy and he legitimately i know i've sent you a bunch of pictures like he like holds my hand and puts it to his face like, he's legitimately Sweet. taking my hand with his one good paw and is like, pet me, love me. But he probably will be, like, kind of like a three-legged cat because he clearly doesn't have any feeling is or any... Is his paw still, like, curled under? Yeah, so basically the vet said there was two options that, like, it was either, um, or, like, a attack of the joints or it's, like, a nerve thing. So they think maybe because of the swelling it just swelled up so much that he lost feeling in the nerve and he can't feel anything in that arm but he's making the most of life like yeah. he, <laughs> like he hears you come into the bathroom and you just hear like him like hobble over to you and it's the cutest thing he wouldn't let me shower <laughs> last night and then when i got out he wasn't letting me like leave the bathroom <laughs> <laughs> he was like play with me he was like just just sit down which of course i'm like just out of the shower so i'm like uh I need to go change. And <laughs> luckily my mom came home. So yeah, it's been a journey like, <laughs> with this cat from thinking we were going to have to like 
put him down to now he's like thriving and he's loving it but and before anyone criticizes me for saying he's in the bathroom he does not like dogs Our cats are already really stressed because the dog is here. So, like, our house is really a hot mess because we have to barricade, like, the dog can't go certain places in the house because the cats are there. So, like, really the only option we had for him to recover for our family was to take him and put him in the bathroom. <laughs> and it's a pretty big bathroom. Like, like small, Yeah, I was going to say, it's not like it's a small bathroom. No, it's a pretty big bathroom. He's he's living his best life. You know, he's get everyone comes in and has to pet him. So, and mind you, even though my parents have their own bathroom, they're still they still use this bathroom. So like he has four people paying attention to him multiple times a day. <laughs> yeah. So, there's the update on that and I promise at least by the time we post this, I will post a picture on our social media of Buddy having fun like being super needy. so um let's talk about puerto rico great segue thanks (laughs) and there's no there's like an awkward there's no good segue for that so don't judge me um there's no judgment there it's fine (laughs) so really i the reading i could i did i couldn't find a lot on the pre-colonialization puerto rico We know that there were hunter-gatherers who reached the island a thousand years before the Spanish. So, you know, there's a long history there. They were the Arak Arak Indians who developed into what we know as the Tayano culture, who were settled there by a thousand CE. And these are like small villages led by, uh, and I'm really sorry, I speak Spanish, but indigenous language people i'm really sorry um kekani or a chief and the one article i left this in because it's critiques my soul um they said they had a limited knowledge of agriculture but grew such domesticated tropical crops as pineapple cassavara and sweet potatoes and supplemented their diets with seafood um personally i think that saying they had a limited knowledge of agriculture is kind of insulting because clearly they had some form of agriculture and it's clearly placed in a European standard and it pisses me off. Yeah, that's pretty patronizing. Right? I thought, damn, check yourself before you wreck yourself. But Puerto <laughs> Rico Puerto Rico had a name before it was known as Puerto Rico. Um, it was, and I apologize for the pronunciation again, Boricen or Boricen. And this is what the Teanos called it. It's They were a seafaring people who actually had close ties to Hispaniola or Haiti. And, you know, these are the people that Columbus encountered who had kind of this civilization with the Bahamas and Cuba and Jamaica and the Virgin Islands. So the idea that these people aren't intelligent or aren't don't have some sort of culture is really, really misleading they were like interacting with each other i mean it's the same mindset that led the people who colonized the northern american continent to think that manifest destiny was an acceptable excuse for what they did yeah definitely um especially because there we know that there were 
wars between the islands, between the people of the different islands, especially between like the Virgin Islands and Viquis Islands. However, let's get to uh, one of the most ridiculous men in history. In 1493, Christopher Columbus left Spain for a second voyage to the Indies and he had 17 ships, about 1,500 men, and they first encountered the Tecano people um, who had been... Um, kidnapped from what is now Puerto Rico and Columbus agrees to take them back to their island so on November 19th uh, 1493 sorry I'm like slightly (laughs) numerically dyslexic I swear okay so November 19th 1493 I'm assuming this is from Columbus's days which I just hate that motherfucker but anyways (sighs) Cristobal Columbus anchored in a bay on the west coast of Borokin, and he immediately does the European thing and promptly renames it San Juan Batista, a.k.a. St. John the Baptist, and claimed it for Ferdinand and Isabella, the Spanish monarchs. So, if you have never watched the Eddie Izzard um, European flag bit, this is what this is. You know, do you have a flag? No? Okay, we're going to claim this now. So they spent two days exploring the island before going back to Hispaniola, which is what we mostly know. Luckily for the Tayano people, and again, if I'm mispronouncing that, my bad, um, they were ignored for 15 years except for like occasionally being visited by ships who were looking for to get supplies. However, in 1508, Juan Ponce de Leon, um, who was who had hung out with Columbus and colonized Hispaniola, was given permission to explore the island. So, Ashley, if you want to check out on the drive, after we look at that beautiful early map of Puerto Rico, these will be up on our social media. The second slide is of... Uh, Ponce de Leon. He looks fancy. He looks fancy as fuck. He's got a little feather in his hat. <laughs> One of those great, you know, 16th century Spanish, like, mustache beard combinations. <laughs> Think, I'm like, really digging the vest. Oh, that's armor. No, I know, but it doesn't look like it in the picture. It does not. Thanks, Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Top quality. Think his facial features kind of look like Orlando Bloom in that Three Musketeers movie that he did that was really bad, but I love it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I know what you're talking about, yeah. It's totally that. I can see that. It's totally the mustache-beard combination of that period. Um, <laughs> the feather is killing me. <laughs> it's, such, it's such a good feather. It's red and black. I don't know what bird that is. I don't either, but the artist spent a lot of time on it, and I appreciate that in my artwork. Yeah. Okay. So, on the north coast of Puerto Rico, uh, De Leon, Ponce de Leon, found a really well-protected bay where you could harbor a bunch of vessels, you know. Basically, the perfect place to colonize um, the island from. So, he founded Caparera. I cannot roll my R's. Don't judge me. I... I will do it once for you, and that is it. <laughs> Capra. 
It's so bad. <laughs> so if you tell me I'm supposed to be rolling my R's, go fuck yourself. I can't do it. <laughs> I took Spanish for so long. I lived in Spain. I cannot roll my R's. Legitimately. I live in the land of the missing R's, so don't worry about it. It's fine. Okay. So in Caparra, <laughs> the... Uh, it's the island's first Spanish town, and it's where they established their first mining and agricultural operations. So, Ashley, what do you know about Spanish colonization? What do they like to look for? I know very, very little about this. No, that's why I asked you. I, I realize that. <laughs> um, okay, so probably... What resources do they look for? Just gold and things they can make money off of. Yeah, basically, they're looking for silver and gold. If you see in the beginning of Pocahontas... That is the That's only That is the only <laughs> legitimate like historical aspect. They did actually look for gold in Jamestown, but the rest of that movie is bullshit. John Smith wasn't even a blonde. He wasn't even And she was like 13, maybe. Anyway, <laughs> that movie. Um but yeah, so they're like they're going to be mining and then they farm just, you know, for subsistence. However, by 1521, the te- they had moved the town to like the northern edge of the harbor and renamed it Puerto Rico, aka Rich Port. It's a good name. Lets you know what's there. However, this creative. is now. No- I know, so creative. Um, Cleveland should have na- been named Burning River, but that's besides the point. <laughs> this port is now known as San Juan, and Puerto Rico came to be known for the entire island. This is actually one of my favorite things phrases I found in my research. The Teanos soon lost reverence for their Spanish, and this is in quotations, protectors who expected the Indians to act as vassals, paying tribute in golden food, as well as ext- accepting instruction in the Christian religion. The sass is strong and I love it. I know. So, basically, they don't have any concept of vassals. They had chieftains who was, it's like, why, and why would they want to become Catholic? They have no concept of your religion. Um, so there's these farms around, they, as Spanish established, farms around the mining camps, you know, to supply. Um, they quickly exhaust the small supply of gold, and these farms develop into large and small plantations. Ashley, let's play a little game show. Can you name three things that they would have been planting in the Caribbean? No. You don't no, want to play? Um, probably sugar. Yeah. Tobacco. Yeah. I'm going to say corn, but I know it's wrong. You got two out of four. Sugarcane, ginger. Oh, bad. No, it's not bad at all. Tobacco and then coffee. How did I forget coffee? I, oh my, I'm, <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. I had coffee today. What am I? Oh my God. All right. I'm dumb. <laughs> um, on top of being forced to work for the Spanish, um, European diseases also came over with them and combined with maltreatment, devastated the Tiano population. So, throwback to my AP U.S. history, what happens when Europeans meet indigenous populations? They die. Is this like the syphilis blankets all over again? Or was it just like a naturally occurring disease outbreak so one it's smallpox blankets the indigenous populations of 
I know why you think this. The indigenous populations of Central and South America gave us syphilis. So you're welcome. You're welcome. I really got those wires crossed there. I'm just not coming out great in this episode. <laughs> yeah, so it's like smallpox, um, all these diseases that they just weren't exposed to. And then think about it. If, you're, if your immune system or your like, eating habits aren't great, a.k.a. college freshmen. Think of college freshmen. You're stressed out. I'm thinking of what we ate in college. It's not great. So back to Puerto Rico. In 1511, the Teano rebelled and had temporary success against the better-armed Spanish and probably healthier Spanish who then subjugated them. As they are wont to do. Yes. By 1520... The Teano presence on the island had pretty much vanished. Um, so where do you think Spain turned? Florida? No. Mm-hmm. You don't want to say it. Go for it. Where do you think they turned for labor? The Teanos are dead. They need someone to work on the plantations. Africa. Damn it. <laughs> <sighs> I'm so dumb today. I really am. I'm loving it, though. I hate you. Shut up. <laughs> So there were a large number of free people of color, but slavery would persist until 1873, um, which is later than most colonies in the Caribbean, but not the latest um, region to still have slavery, which is, in case you're wondering, Brazil. Brazil was the last one. When did they finally... Um, When did Brazil... Yeah. You ready for it? It's yeah. the greatest number. 1888. That's what I thought. I just love it because of all the eights. <laughs> all of them. I knew it was the late 1800s. I just didn't remember. It was after the American Civil War. Yeah. It was yeah. a lot. Not that they're related. Just that's how I remember it in my stupid American brain. <laughs> yeah. Um, They also brought in some Indian slaves, a.k.a. native slaves, from nearby islands um, to make sure that they could still mine and farm. So it's not a successful, like, economic colony for a long time because, you know, there's uh, other crib groups raiding them, carrying off food, destroying And it's also being, like, there's disease, they're being plundered by French, British, and Dutch pirates. You know, fun. Um, They're literal pirates of the Caribbean. Yes. I'm sorry. I had to. Yes. It had to be done. However, in the second half of the 16th century, Spain, finally realizing how significant Puerto Rico is, converted San Juan into a military outpost using money from Mexican mines. So we're going to go a little bit into what they've built right now. You ready? So they built <laughs> they built a fortified palace for the governor called La Forteza, which means the fortress, followed by uh, San Felipe del Moro, the El Moro cas- Castle, which uh, is perfectly, it perfectly dominates the narrow entrance into San Juan Harbor. And they find, like, the final piece was a larger and stronger fortress, San Cristobal, 
St. Christopher Castle on the Atlantic side of the city. So I put a picture of this really strong castle on the on the Atlantic oh, side of the city. It is very is, intimidating. Yeah, that's not something you want to row up to at night. I feel like if you row up, like if you're rowing up to it at night, it wouldn't be too bad. But like this, basically, it's on the peninsula, and it's a very like it's a stone castle that's like clearly has large views like 360 views right and it's definitely well armed and fortified yeah against like yeah no not great yeah so as well they surrounded the city in the 17th century with a a 25 feet high stone wall and 18 feet thick and it's in like it two parts of it still stands and so basically mm-hmm. you have like three of three fortresses like so there's a fortified palace there's a fortified like so there's la foresta el moro and san Cristobal, like protecting the city it's surrounded by an 18th thick foot wall who are they trying to keep out my dear everyone else in the imperial game you know at this point you still have the french pretty strong because they have haiti and they're prominent in the caribbean you have the british who have like colonies fucking everywhere and you have the dutch who are really they're smaller colonies but they're more of like a naval economic power so they're trying to protect what's theirs because think about it spain's power comes from the fact that they get all the silver from central silver and gold from central america but as well as having, you know, these really intimidating fortresses around San Juan, Puerto Ricans are developing their own distinct traditions, practices. They're building they're basically their own culture from this mixing that's happened, as well as, like, living off of sustenance farming. So while they might be working for the Spanish, they still have to feed themselves. So how do you think if Spain's not taking an interest in puerto rico as much except for like defending it as a like a good stop how do you think they're making their money off of the import export game uh yeah kind of do you think it's legal or illegal probably a bit of bull actually it's mostly on the black market to supplying the islands around them because Hmm. spain is the big power at this point pretty much until after the seven years war spain is this big power and you see them ignoring puerto rico because mexico and peru are having they're larger and they have silver and gold Mm -hmm. so you want that money to give to the chinese they're more profitable yeah to get that spice porcelain opium life um however if you know your central or latin american history which we well established that i do not you do not know i know you don't because you did french um, sugar is a big cash crop for much of the region, which often, if you see in a lot of regions, there's still problems. Sugar, like, creates really wealthy landowners who have plantations, but also causes a lot of poor and landless. So that's why you see the land disparity in Central and South America and the Caribbean. But mm-hmm. it doesn't dominate Puerto Rico until the 1800s. So we see them, like, getting to develop a little bit in different ways. Their population, there's it's only 15% slave, which is rare on these islands, in the, mm-hmm. especially in the Caribbean. Because if you hear, like Haiti and a lot of other islands, they had a more fear of slave revolts. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And there's maybe there was good reason for that fear. But yeah, there's 40% free people of color and 45% other free people. So it's everything's kind of woven all together. So there's more of a chance. Good things, bad things begin to happen in 1812. Legislative changes grant greater independence with the sense of Puerto Rican identity and the distinct cultural life. They become that of a province, which means they get representation in Spanish parliament, which is very important because as a colony, you do not. You get a governor. But (laughs) that was the whole thing that the American Revolution was about was that we didn't have representation in parliament. Yeah. So after a couple of years, it returns to a colonial status with military governors appointed by the Spanish crown. Bet that went over well. Yeah. You know, just the standard resentment and this leads to increased, you know, hostility to the intellectuals of Puerto Rico. And some people who are like, hey, what's happening? Um, so on top of that, there was a war going on in Europe at this time. And in 1815, a bunch of refugees from the Napoleonic War and other European immigrants come onto the island. For those of you who don't know a lot about Napoleonic Wars, it's basically Napoleon tried to take over Europe and the British and other countries... The Brit- I know more the British side, but in other countries, um, shut down Napoleon. But Napoleon rather ruled Spain for a while. Mm-hmm. So that explains why they went to Puerto Rico. And the economy of Puerto Rico begins to grow, mainly because newly independent Haiti, Cuba, and other newly independent countries disrupted the sugar industry puerto rico could take advantage of that but problems with plantations and growth small farmers kind of get bought out so these plantations for sugar and then later coffee basically buy up all the land so you have no real small farmers left as well as like this idea of puerto rican liberalism that's happening in this time. So from 1808 to 1823, there's advocates for an assimilation of Puerto Rico as a judicial equal to peninsular provinces. So basically equal to the provinces of Spain. So mm-hmm. like Catalonia, of Basque. Okay. Yeah. How we're in 1823, there's a more radical shift putting on it emphasis on an autonomous system of government rather than assimilation. So this okay. this is stewing for a little bit. And then during the early 1860s, local Spanish authorities begin to be alarmed by conspiracies from separatist groups, applied severe measures against all acts of dissidents on the island. Things like freedom of the press was non-existent. All group discussions were monitored by the government, and the island was then ruled by leyes especiales, extraordinary degrees dictated by captain generals of or governors appointed by the Spanish government. I bet this is going to go over super great. I don't know why you don't No think- problems will ever happen. Nothing controversial will take place. No one's going to die, and it's all going to be real boring. They're all just going to drink their rum. Mm -hmm. And just not meet in groups of more than three. And it'll be fine, right? Who meets in groups more than three? So, you know, this, these leyes especiales, 
are put on top of the fact that the majority of Puerto Ricans are living in extreme poverty and as agriculture was the main source of income, they're like really limited because there's not a lot of roads or don't have up-to-date tools and equipments and, you know, natural disasters such as hurricanes and periods of drought. A lot of changes have happened since then then, huh? I, I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. Also, on top of that, illiteracy was at 83.7%. Seems reasonable. Yeah. Continue. Yeah. But the intellectual minor- minority is keeping really active despite like limitations imposed by others and the Spanish authorities. So what do you think is going to happen, Ashley? Probably not a revolt or anything. I mean, I don't understand why you would think that. It doesn't sound like a revolt stew has been simmering for a long time. I think we're probably okay. Yeah. However, they were frustrated by their lack of political freedom and economic freedom and getting pissed off by continued repression. An armed rebellion was staged by pro-independence movements in oh my God, 1868. I know. Yay. <laughs> Apparently there was a stew. Apparently. Apparently. So the Grito de Lares broke out in September 23rd, 1868. I mean, it even sounds like the name of a stew. Well. Am I wrong? You are wrong. In the town of Lares, where the rebellion broke out and spread to other revolutionary cells in the island, on the island. It's almost like you Googled that. Shut up. (laughs) I'm an excellent Googler. Google hire me to Google things. Um, Hashtag Google hire Courtney. (laughs) So the rebellion was planned by a group led by Dr. Ramon Antillero Balenses and Segundo Ruiz Bellis, which I have their pictures. It's always Dr. Ramon. So Ramon is, I skipped the pictures of the, the locals and the slaves, but that's besides the point. Yeah, see, he looks like a dude who would kick some shit off. Look at that beard and tell me that's not someone who starts an armed revolt. Um, Listeners, please look at the social media for this because he legitimately has like one of those beards that splits and it looks like he has two beards just next to each other. He looks like the great great granddaddy of the illegitimate father of one of the members of ZZ Top. Oh my god, he would be in ZZ Top. And then... Right. The next one is Segundo Ruiz Belvis. I mean, he looks like a troublemaker too, but he only has the Snidely K with Lash mustache going on. He doesn't really have much of a beard. He looks like an anarchist. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um. You should also know the only image that comes up for Segundo, which I love his name, is Segundo. <laughs> I'm glad you knew that. Is literally a draw. <laughs> their kid number two. That's what I want to know. They named their kid number two. And expected that nothing bad would happen when they did right. so. Um, is a sketch portrait while Ramon has like an uh, at least a dairy attire. He's got like he's got like a full on commissioned photo of him. Yeah, and this dude is like sketchbook wanted poster style drawing or Jack's on the Titanic portrait. Not draw me like one. <laughs> he got painted like one of the French girls. Well, he got drawn like one of the French girls. Thank you very much. They had founded this group called Comité Revolucionario de Puerto Rico, the Revolutionary Committee of Puerto Rico. It, I know. 
Jan- in- really creative. <laughs> in January of 1868, from exile in Port... <laughs> from exile in the Dominican Republic, Ramon authored several proclamas. Las proclamas uh, circulated throughout the island at through different local dissident groups, and they organized around them. And there are secret cells of this revolutionary committee, which, you know, how long are they going to stay secret? Probably not very. Yeah, I know. But I think this is really telling that they are bringing together all sectors of society, landowners, merchants, professionals, peasants, and slaves. Which, I mean... The romanticized idea of slaves, as we can see in our beautiful slideshow I made, it's clearly like they're mm-hmm. doing okay. But, I mean, I don't. They're so freaking idealized. I can't. I can't. So. Well, that was to make their slave-owning population feel better about themselves so that they could continue the institution. True. Yeah. Know what I mean? And most of these individuals joining the committee, the Revolutionary Committee, were criollos, which means they were born on the island. And, you know, as their economy Mm -hmm. is going down and there's increased repression by the Spanish, like Ashley said, it's a stew. It's a fucking stew. It's a Puerto Rican <laughs> sopa or a sopa de Puerto Rico stewing because of the Spanish. You're making me hungry. Stop. I regret nope, this analogy. Uh, so most of these, like the most of the strongholds are in towns on the western part of the island located near the mountains. The, I just love this. So they planned on the insurrection beginning September 29th, but they had a little problem. What do you think that problem was, Ashley? Was it, it was a not a hurricane. That would be really weird. Nope. Right. Uh, the Spanish authorities on the island discovered the plan, and that's why it was on September 23rd in the town of Lares. So, between 400 and 600 rebels gathered in the hacienda of Manuel Rojas on the outskirts of Lares. a lot of people in one hacienda. Well, like a hacienda is like a farm. So it's like on the outskirts of the town too. That's true. Yeah, it was probably yeah. sizable. So how do you think these rebels are going to compare against the Spanish military? Torches and pitchforks versus an armada. That's Not actually... Well. <laughs> yeah, they're poorly trained and armed. Uh, they're reaching the town by horse and foot. They looted local... Yeah. they get there yeah because if you know anything about caribbean islands they're not really flat like they're te- they tend to be mountainous so you're like going over pretty hilly terrain especially if you're going in the mountainous sides it's not gonna be an easy walk uh but they looted local stores and offices owned by peninsulares basically uh the spanish word men because those of you who do know Spanish colonial history, there are names for basically every combination. There's different names for everything. So the peninsularities is just the word for a Spanish-born men. So they're born in Spain and they came there. Um, and then they took over City Hall and proclaimed the new Republic of Puerto Rico. 
How did that go, Ashley? Nothing bad happened. Nothing bad ever happens. I don't know what you're talking about. Nope. Most boring podcast episode ever. So the Spanish merchants and local government authorities then considered the rebels to be enemies of the fatherland and were taken as prisoners. As (laughs) one does. On September 24th, so literally the next day, the Republic of Puerto Rico was proclaimed under the presidency of Francisco Ramirez, um, and any slaves that had joined the movement were declared free citizens. So pretty. So wait, how, wait. So it worked. So who who declared it? So there was another. Gr- was it declared by the crown, or was it by themselves? So it's um. So it's in another area, like they. It's like they're like, okay, this is the presidency under Francisco Ramirez. So there's, like, groups. So it's not just one area. So the rebel forces then go to take over the next town, San Sebastian del Pepino. But who shows up but the Spanish militia with strong resistance. And (laughs) I'm just imagining them just showing up, like, a meet-cute kind of thing. Like, oh, (laughs) fancy meeting you here. And they're just killing um, everyone. So the rebels were surprised and Manuel Rojas, you know, the guy whose hacienda they met at, led the retreat back to Lares. Yeah. The governor, Juania Padilla, Juliana Padilla, ordered that the Spanish militia rounded up the rebels and brought the insurrection to an end. So 475 rebels were imprisoned, including Manuel Rojas. I love that name. Um, yeah, hacienda, hacienda dude. Guy? So then... Okay. On November 17th, the military court imposed a death penalty for treason and sedition on all prisoners. La Sopa de Puerto Rico is a boiling. It's, uh, they're trying to, and then in an effort to appease the Sopa, uh, the incoming governor, Jose Lorano Sanz, dictated a general amnesty in early. 1869 and all prisoners were released but if you know it takes a little while to put a to take a sopa from boiling to calm so then between 1869 and 73 there is a liberal government in spain which provided liberties in the caribbean including the rights of cubans and puerto ricans representatives to the spanish cortes the cortes is basically like their congress so the easiest way to think of that okay yeah that makes sense so this again makes puerto rico a province of spain and it allows for the establishment of first national political parties the pro-independence movement at this point is kind of disbanded most of its leadership is in exile and conservative and liberal factions then take over the political arena and Oh, sorry. Were political parties a new thing at that point, or were there already some on the continent? So in the world, they're not new. Like, Spain had them. Like, most European countries had them. In the U.S., they're pretty... Okay, so Yeah. So basically, follow. there's just groups that have different beliefs, and the pro-independence party, or, like, movement that had led this uprising in the 1860s is all in exile now. Again. Should say again, and the conservative and liberal factions are now able to kind of like have a more open debate on political status, social demands, 
for the with the Spanish government. So they're like allowed to exist. Gotcha. Okay. So let's learn about these factions. Okay. The conservatives are mostly represented by peninsulares, so people born in España, and they wanted to continue the status quo. So local government, handpicked by captain generals, ruling by decree, favoring slavery, and all the pri- like privileges given basically to the Spanish ruling class. So basically, your Spanish like descent. Or you're from Spain. Bonus! Um, Basically, they're like, it's working for us. Leave it alone. Yeah, so like, everything's fine. Let's keep it this way. Let's just get a little more rights here. But like, for us and uh, us Spaniards in Puerto Rico, and we don't need to worry about anything else. So, the liberal faction wanted a total integration of Puerto Rico as a province of Spain. So, and it would give it all the privileges of the liberal Spanish regime at the time. They also wanted to abolish slavery, which hasn't happened yet, and, like, political reforms at a local level. And so in November of 1870, they founded the Partido Liberal Reformista, the Liberal Reform Party, led by... Oh, let's let's go with this. drunk enough that I'm going to butcher the shit out of these. Roman... Bartolio de Castro, Jose Julian Acosta, y Pedro Deronimo Gocha, and others. So, they found this liberal reform party, but they fight. So there's infighting because one faction within the liberals want total assimilation to Spain. The other, which then get called, God, I love the names, autonomistas, want a self-government under Span- the Spanish flag, similar to, you know, like Canada is now. Or Catalonia. Okay. Too soon? Right. As no. Spain is repressing them right now. Okay. So they, of course, as, as it is for the times, found a newspaper, El Progreso, to uh, portray the public expressions for the liberals' views. The conservatives then fo- founded Partido Liberal Conservador, the Liberal Conservative Party, using their newspaper, Bulletin Mercantil, as the conservative spreader. So, during this time, there also are Puerto Rican representatives in the Spanish Cortes, um, and they exceed, like, doing really well in their efforts to obtain political reforms. And, like, sadly, the local Spanish authorities are keeping a tighter grip on the island. You know, they're hearing rumors from broad of plots and like, like possible insurrections from separatists. So, you know, it's, it's still not a good situation. So the local government is still heavy sense, sense, sense of reading the press um, to implement government repression and political persecution, mainly at the liberal camp. So, you know, our homeboys who are... Partido Liberal Reformista and the Autonomistas. Lots of Istas. So, the liberals are getting shut down, basically. Then, in 1873, the Spanish constitutional monarchy was replaced by a Republican government. This new government, very short-lived. Very, very short-lived. However, 
abolish slavery on the island. So yay. March 22nd, 1873, slavery is abolished. They're not the last ones. Okay. So it's considered a step forward by the liberals, but it doesn't provide for immediate and total freedom for the island's black population. And in 1784, like further liberal reform efforts are aborted on the island because the Spanish Republic fell to a military coup and return of Spanish monarchy. Spanish authorities then appoint a governor, Jose Lorano Sanez, who overturned all established democratic practices. Yay. How long did they last? So, I mean, if you look at it, 1869 to about 1874. So like five years. But five years of democratic practices are enough to make an imprint, you know? So we're just going to call this La Sopa de Puerto Rico. Return to its colonial status. So they put it back on the back burner. Ruled by leyes especiales. Dictated by the repressive ruler. And then between 1876 and 1889, these, remember we had the, the Liberal Party and yes. the Liberal Party. So they yep. came back together behind the idea of political autonomy and leaving, give up on the idea of assimilation with Spain. They said, it's not worth it. We're done. Can't deal with it. And so they're working in the mid-1880s on a platform for self-government and they renamed themselves, let's go with it, Partido Autonomista Puerto Ricano. So the Puerto Rican Autonomous Party, the pro-independence movement who's been in exile, had planned several invasions from exile, did not have funds or support. But then, towards the end of the 1880s, there's an economic crisis, a pretty severe one. So what does that mean for our lovely rebels? Well, there's an economic crisis, pretty bad. So probably think 2008 crisis or worse. And... There's also on top of it a local monopoly for the Spanish merchants, which think of it. La Sopa de Puerto Rico is on the back burner and it's an economic crisis and you have a monopoly. So it's the heat's coming up and it leads to establishment of secret societies. Always a good time. Promoting the boycott of Spanish merchants and greater support for local businesses. Yay, Puerto Ricano businesses. On top of it, there's violent incidents against Spanish commercial establishments, like, you know, looting and arson. Normal thing. Classy. Yeah. I like it. So the government and its civil guard began responding with raids, imprisonments, and severe torture measures, became, which are known as componentes. So anytime they give us torture methods a name, like a group of torture methods a name, it's not good. So Yeah, no, not so much. That's dick <laughs> Yeah. So on top of that, there's a lack of civil liberties, social conditions, and 85% of the population is illiterate. There's also malnutrition and extreme poverty throughout most of the countryside. So it's a really bad economic repression. So that's why you see these outbursts. This soup is in a rolling boil right now. You know, they're trying to like they're trying to get off the flame. Moved to a different burner, basically. So, Puerto Ricans are finally 
granted self-government by Spain when the Carta Autonomica, uh, it's a form of constitutional autonomy, was approved by the Spanish Cortes November 25th. 1895. 97. 1897. Fuck. But there's always a but. Ashley, what do you think this but is? I have a feeling that it's the Spanish-American War. You are correct. So. Nailed it. By the time Puerto Ricans are supposed to have their first elections in March 1898, there's tensions building between Spain and the United States. And this little self-government experiment came to an end one month later with the advent of the Spanish-American War. So, this is our first two-part episode, um, mainly because I could not tell the story of Puerto Rico in one, because it's me. (laughs) So, tune in next week. We're going to move on up from the Spanish-American War, which I will hit on if you love yellow journalism. Yellow journalism will come into play. Who doesn't love it? (laughs) <laughs> I do. Uh, We're living it. We'll talk about the USS Maine. We'll talk about all the good parts of the Spanish-American War. And I will tell you some stupid things people said in a history class I took on American history about the Spanish-American War. It's really a gem. <laughs> Can't oh, it's such a gem. So, thank you for listening to the Cult of Domesticity podcast. We're available on, oh, God, I've been busy this week iTunes, Google Play, Chorus, Podbeans, and SoundCloud. If we're not on your preferred app, please let us know so we can fix that. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes because it's really the best way to spread the word. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter at Domestic Podcast to get the episode tip-off, recipe of the week, and additional information about the week's topics. If you'd like to suggest a recipe or topic, email us at domesticpodcast at gmail.com. Should we long-distance high-five? I think we should long-distance high-five. <laughs> well-